six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Good afternoon and welcome to WORT FM's Community Conversation on Community Radio. It's a public affair for Thursday, November 3rd. I'm Bert Zipperer, your host for today, substituting for Alan Ruff. Today we're talking democracy with a small d, economic democracy, and specifically cooperatives with a nationally recognized expert on cooperatives, Ann Reynolds, a lifetime Madisonian and the retired executive director of the UW's Center for Cooperatives. Welcome, Ann. And it's great, and it's really great to have you here. Um, We've known each other since the last century, and I recently found out that you were in the Co-op Hall of Fame. Could could you talk about that for a second? Well, thanks. That's uh, um, I can give a shout out to the National Co-op Business Association, which is a trade association of um, many different types of co-ops. Many members of co-ops. um, don't know a lot about it, but it does do a lot of advocacy and policy work in Washington, which is kind of critical for any um, organization. And once a year, um, people are nominated to be members of the Co-op Hall of Fame, and I was honored with that uh, several years ago. And um, really, really um, pleased to join a group of people who um, – very hard to make sure that co-ops remain a viable alternative um, in all different parts of our communities. Well, you've been actively involved in this community on all sorts of levels. I've worked on different organizations with you and boards, and and you richly deserve that honor. So congratulations, Anne. And we welcome you, listeners, to call us with your questions and comments at 608-256-2001. We are talking cooperatives with Anne Reynolds. So, Anne, yesterday you were talking the big picture, the civic life, and what cooperatives mean for that. Should we start there? Sure. I think that's really important because, um, you know, you may know that there's all sorts of different ways of organizing. Um, We have tons of nonprofits here in Madison. We have a lot of um, corporations. And we have a lot of cooperatives. And it's possible to organize any of those um, groups legally. And there's a certain number of rules that you have to follow according to state statutes if you want to be a recognized cooperative. And we have 179 of them in Dane County. We have uh, almost uh, 800 in the state of Wisconsin. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of legally recognized cooperatives around. But the interesting thing about cooperatives is that cooperation is also a um, word that starts with a small c, and it is defined as, you know, working together, essentially. And so, although, um, and, and working together can come in many different forms. I mean, all of us can think of, you know, the 10 times we worked with other people, even in the last few days. And it might've been just to, um, you know, do some leaf collection on your block, or it might've been just to give out Halloween candy. It might've been to volunteer um, at a a shelter for people who are unhoused. It could have been many, many ways that you've participated um, in a civic adventure. And I think it's especially important to recognize that this is pervasive in our society. Cooperation is pervasive, and it gives us hope, especially at this time when we're really questioning what is the future of democracy. And um, the 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 the, at the most basic, democracy is coming to agreement and getting things done. And I have no doubt that no matter what happens after our election, we're going to be there. We will continue to have huge amounts of cooperation in this society. It seems that in typical discourse, especially in the major media, competition is just this like um, sacred, sacred mantra and human behavior. It's like anybody who is competing is like, well, that's just the way humans are. But reality is cooperatives 
are the way humans are. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think we have, you know, tons of examples like that. Competition is a uh, important force and we need to reckon, but we need to recognize that along with every other um, thing that attracts human beings. Uh, sure, we do compete, but we are, we also cooperate and we, and we do both of those things every day of our lives. Exactly. Thank you, Anne. So speaking of cooperatives, you talked about how many are in Dane County. Let's start with a basic definition of a cooperative. A cooperative is an organization where the people who own the organization um, make decisions and financially benefit from it if that is part of what the cooperative is all about. And the types so it really is around ownership. And that is a as is and 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 decision making and sharing benefits. Those three things really do distinguish cooperatives from both nonprofits which where there is a community-based ownership and uh, for-profit investor-owned organizations where the investor may not be involved in the use of the organization or the company. They may not be involved with decision-making even, but they will get a share of the profits based on their ownership. Can you speak of some of the co-ops that we may even just not even realize are co-ops. Yeah, it is interesting. Well, I mean, we have several strong cooperatives in, in Madison. Um, Union Cab is a worker-owned cooperative. Group Health Cooperative is a um, uh, consumer-owned cooperative. Those are um, great examples that are um, have been adopted world, uh, nationwide by other um, co-ops in other communities. Uh, you know, Land O'Lakes is a cooperative owned by farmers. And um, you, you see that Land O'Lakes brand on the grocery sh um, shelf. Uh, it was started by farmers in the upper Midwest, mostly um, farmers who belong to very small cooperatives in their community. They were selling their milk to a creamery that they owned. And eventually, that those creameries joined together to create a large organization, which is now Land O'Lakes. Organic Valley is another really important dairy cooperative in, in, in um, the United States, also started in the upper Midwest and actually in Lafarge, Wisconsin. So um, another, another group that, you know, you, credit unions are financial cooperatives. So we have some extremely strong credit unions in Wisconsin. Uh, the farm credit system, which is the basis for, you know, billions of dollars of loans to farmers and to rural America. A lot of people in small towns um, all over the state and all over the country um, have their mortgage loans through the farm credit system. And when you take out a mortgage with farm credit, you join that cooperative. So huge financial impact, actually. Yeah, I, I grew up in small-town rural Wisconsin, and co-ops had a tremendous effect on, on my life and my life experience. We grew up in a small, we, my parents operated a small farmer's cooperative cheese factory in a village called School Hill, Wisconsin. We were surrounded by co-ops to the point where, if you're a member of the co-op in, for example, Reedsville, Wisconsin, your funeral was covered because the funeral home was part of the cooperative. Um, and moving to Madison, moving into a housing cooperative where the 32 of us own the house together and ran it. And I think the democratic operation of it is so critical in learning democracy and, and living the democracy. Um, wh what do you see there? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree because you know, it's funny. Um, we talk about, you know, how do, how do we educate people about democracy and, and um, you know, democracy uh, requires people to be involved and to know what is going on. Um, and we're, we're very aware of that right now. Um, who are you listening to and, and what are you hearing? And, um, you know, co-ops have a mission of informing their members about how to um, participate in democracy. 
And the earlier, and we do know, just like all education, that the earlier that starts and the more you hear about participation in your economic life as well as your political life, the more likely you are to value it and to embrace it. I certainly know, I mean, I've met literally hundreds, if not thousands, of cooperative board members in the state of Wisconsin. And I may not always agree with them politically, but we have something in common, and that's that we share a commitment to uh, to democracy and to ownership that is shared by members rather than corporations that may or may not have the best interest of the members at heart. Yeah, there, there's so many examples of uh, distant investors determining that a large business is more profitable dead than alive and destroying various communities across this nation for profit. They're making a profit on it somewhere else, and the people who depend on that for their life are paying the cost. Um, that, yeah, the idea of a co-op, I think, is really remarkable. I could give an example. Um, I mean, this is a, maybe a, it's, it's a combination of old Madison and current Madison. Uh, Gisholt was a, um, a business in Madison that was, uh, you know, employed at one time. Um, many, many people. And one of the things that they did was to create what they called the machines that created machines. And so they um, they employed a lot of people who were highly skilled craftspeople who um, uh, were, were then making the tools for manufacturing. And not just in Madison, but all over. Gish- the Gishol building still um, is on East Washington. So if you if you and you think about that and I and I don't know the exact history, but eventually, yes, it 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 was, you know, sold and had to shut down. Some of the engineers who worked at Gishold decided to form a cooperative. And that cooperative now is Isthmus Engineering and Manufacturing. I didn't know that. Yeah, highly successful. It was based on a cooperative in Spain called Mondragon. They were incredibly inspired by that example. And they did just what you're saying, Bert. They, they, they faced a situation where they were going to lose their job, and they transferred that energy and that um, talent to a new company. And that company uh, continues to be a worker-owned cooperative. Everybody uh, who works there after a certain period and wants to join is a member. Wow. Gishult is the birthplace of Isthmus Engineering. I had no idea. We're, we're talking with Ann Reynolds on A Public Affair today. We're talking about cooperatives. We invite you to join the conversation at 608-256-2001 here at WORT as we talk about cooperatives. Um, I want to go one of two directions. Um, I don't know if I want to talk about Mondragon in Spain or talk about all the small new initiatives that are happening here. So I'll let you choose. I guess I'd like to talk about some of the things that are happening here because it is really exciting. Yeah. And there was an article in the Cap Times uh, a couple of weeks ago about um, cooperatives and, you know, th- there was a prediction that there's an incredible resurgence. And one of the things to remember, again, as we sometimes can um, feel very gloomy about things, is that co-ops do spring out of adversity. And as long as everything's going well, you know, people are maybe less likely to put the time and effort into forming a cooperative. Uh, but, but I have a couple of examples. Um, um, as, as many of you know, the the industry of home care, so services to people who live in their homes, um, has been um, the source of a lot of angst because the workers are paid uh, very little. And the economics of running home care businesses is very, very difficult. So uh, a lot of that having to do with funding from um, uh, Medicare and Medicaid and, and others. So... Um, but it's very exciting. We have um, a new co-op in Madison called Soaring Independent Co-op, 
that uh, that was was created under Madison's um, Madison Co-op uh, Development uh, Initiative, and that uh, they're doing well. I mean, you can find their website, and um, they are offering a lot of services. How do you, how do you spell that name? Soaring, S O A R I N G, Independent Cooperative. It's it's uh, I think. You know, they have 10 or 12 members. It's relatively small, but it's growing. That's great. Um, and then, uh, and, 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 uh, uh, and another one that I should mention, not home care, but another health care related one is called Roots for Change. And that is the, um, one of the only immigrant-led um, marketing cooperatives in the United States. And they focus on prenatal health, and that's here in Madison also. Um, a lot of the development work for that co-op was also done under that uh, Madison-based program. And Santa uh, Lispano uh, was really the sort of birthing organization. But I also worked with um, many of the um, women who were interested to let them know what What's a co-op and why does this seem like a good solution for you? What's the name of that again? Roots for Change. So it's Roots for Change, one all one word. And four is a numeral. That's great. We will try to make sure that that's on our website as, as you listen yeah. to this show. Uh, Jade is always good about that. So thank you, Jade. Um, I, I also just want to quickly just say that Another opportunity that I that I really see is around renewable energy. So there has also been um, an uptick in cooperatives in that area. So co-ops kind of can flourish in, under adversity, but they can also flourish in a new market. So that's um, um, you know that that's another thing that's happening here and and around the country. So. What kind of co-ops are forming with renewable energy? Uh, there's one, and I um, would have to look it up. It's based in Amherst, and it is a workaround co-op. So people that are doing installation of solar, um, uh, uh, you know, at commercial and at, at a residential level form a co-op. And so that's um, been successful for a number of years. Uh, there's another one that is uh, Madison-based, and it's a co-op that allows uh, somebody like me who lives in a house that has trees above it and can't have solar um, to join and support solar development. And then they also um, uh, offer an opportunity for other um, solar uh, consulting groups and solar installers to join together so that they're sharing uh, marketing and information. That is great. If somebody was in a situation and they wanted to explore the idea or look at resources of how to become a co-op, where are some places that they should go to immediately? Definitely. uh, Here, uh, I would start with the UW Center for Cooperatives. So that's uwcc. wisc.edu. And they have a lot of online resources, and you can talk to people who are whose job it is to help start co-ops. So UW Center for Cooperatives. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, you know they will also, uh, depending on what you're looking for, uh, not only will they, you know, they have a wide network of existing co-ops that they may refer you to, so you can kind of get the the. Um, um, I don't know. I always think that you need to know the good and the bad sometimes about forming a new business. Um, they will connect you with people who are doing it right now. And they'll also uh, connect you with organizations that focus more specifically on the type of co-op that you're interested in. So I, I know you and the UW Center for Cooperatives has recently been very helpful with a group of artists yes. on Winnebago Street who are just about to sign a mortgage to own their art studios cooperatively, the ground floor. And that's fantastic because they're just, um, it's, a, it's a perfect example of a group of people who are working individually, but have a, um, and sort of need to slowly come to the realization that they are stronger together than they are individually. 
And I, over the years, I worked with, um, you know, many different groups like that, whether it was a group of, often a group of consultants who had been working on their own and coming together. Um, uh, they, it doesn't mean you have to share all your paints, right? The artists don't have to market their paintings together, but what they can do is get to know each other. So maybe eventually they will market together. Maybe they will begin group buying. There's lots of opportunities, but the first step is, as you say, will form a cooperative where they can um, negotiate with, um, you know, their, their, their studio space. Exactly. And own and control it. So they're in control of their destiny, not someone else who's focused on profit, for example. Um, we're talking with Ann Reynolds about all things cooperative. Ann Reynolds, from the uh, former executive director of the UW Center for Cooperatives, is with us today. We welcome your calls, your questions, your comments at 608-256-2001. And, and let's talk about, you talked about looking at the big picture and also going small to the small picture to really understand cooperatives. Um, I think we're doing that. Did we miss anything so far? You know, I, um, many times, uh, you know, people that are uh, thinking about cooperatives and uh, they talk to somebody and maybe the um, story is, you know, cooperatives are great, but there's, uh, you know, a fair amount of um, disagreement sometimes. And how do we work that out? You know, maybe it's if, if I want... Uh, Housing, maybe it's easier to write a check for a landlord rather than have to deal with my fellow um, uh, humans <laughs> in, a, in a housing situation, for example. And um, so that's sort of the, the small C of cooperation. And, you know, of course, it, it gets to the small C of conflict resolution and it gets to the um, D of democracy and um, see of consensus. There are um, a host of ways to um, get along, and um, cooperatives have gotten really good at a lot of that. They've got hundreds of years of experience of how do we work out the inevitable um, uh, disagreements between people. And so, you know. It, it, it's an interesting thing because what you realize is that democracy is a institution and we have, are arguing right now about voting rights and, and you know how open the vote is for Americans and how easy is it to vote and what does your vote mean. Um, co-ops do that too. But fundamentally... We're, we're talking about how do we actually make decisions? And do we have a system that people trust to make the decisions that affect our lives? And so, yeah, if you, if you take it down to the smallest level, and, and I live in a um, community, for instance, that has a, a, has a block party every year, and I kind of... Um, participate in it on a pretty much just show up basis. And maybe I bring some chips and dip. Um, what if one time somebody says, you know what, we're not going to have this block party anymore because so-and-so that used to organize it moved away. And so-and-so that used to organize it um, can't participate anymore. Um, you know, if I step into that role right away, I'm going to, maybe step into some arguments and some baggage. But I'm also going to step into a role, and I think this is where it gets serious, as part of a group that may be the group that organizes free food distribution at some point, or maybe the group that really makes sure that the elders on the block are taken care of. This may be the nucleus of a group that if there ever was a flood, for instance, would be the ones that made sure people were um, got the 
things that they needed to survive that flood and were checked on. So, you know, I, I guess that's what co-ops give us is not just the Willie Street Co-op, oh, I love grocery, I love shopping there, but a sense of community and a group of people that I might be able to call on later when actually our food system has broken down. Exactly. And call me a catastrophist, but I think this is pretty important. Well, you and I were talking yesterday, and you mentioned that the question, are we a community with experience and skills and relationships to allow us to spring into action at a time of crisis to support the most vulnerable and how cooperatives are f- part of that foundation to to give you the, those skills in time of crisis. And, and, and that, right, they give you the skills in the time of crisis and they create the relationships. And I think that's borne out by the history of, of immigrants here in the United States, the history of um, groups that have um, been marginalized by our society. I mean, American, Latinx communities, immigrant communities have all formed many times informal cooperatives to uh, make sure that they have needs satisfied. And at the same time, those are the things that have uh, made those communities strong in many ways. My Czech immigrant ancestors were part of fraternal organizations, uh, insurance and mutual aid societies, cultural societies that created the communities that that I grew up in and, and that benefited me. It's interesting that, you know, <laughs> any of us traveled in Illinois, you know, it's kind of a flat state with a whole bunch of corn, right? Um, back in the day, and, and we had books about this at the Center for Cooperatives, Illinois was just dotted with cooperative grocery stores that were formed by the farmers and the people who lived there. A lot of it starting with the mines. So there was a very flourishing mining um, uh, district in Illinois at one time. And those miners uh, not only formed unions, but they formed cooperatives. And those co-ops spread all over the state. So not only and I mean, farming cooperatives are still very strong in Illinois, but there were there were other co-ops, like you described with your Czech ancestors, that filled the needs of what, again, was a largely immigrant community, and, um, and they did it themselves. So uh, no reason that it can't happen again here. That is great. Hey, Ann, we've got a caller, and I'd like to welcome Kel to WORT and welcome your question. Um, thank you. I'm just curious, um, can co-ops be co-opted, like maybe not with the spirit of what they're meant to be so that people or businesses form co-ops and then they're no longer going with the spirit of what co-ops are? Thanks for the question, Kel. Anne? Yeah, that is a um, really great question. And, you know, it, it it's complicated, like any good question. Um, you know, I, I think that a co-op that co-ops are only as strong as the people who are the members of the cooperative. And so um, the and, and, and so if people really participate and um, know um, how to participate, which is also important, especially if it's a larger cooperative, um, then the chance of them being co-opted, as you say, um, away f- and moving away from their values gets smaller. On the other hand, co-ops do reflect their members. And so I may join a co-op um, at one period in my work life, um, um, say I'm a farmer and I join a cooperative and, um, you know, I, I, and I know farmers like this. I mean, they join cooperatives that sell a lot of, uh, fertilizers say, and, and things that, that eventually some of them come to disagree with. Um, and you know, 
the co-op, just because it's a co-op doesn't mean it won't do things that you disagree with. Um, if you have a voice in that co-op, though, you have a much better chance of making a change than you ever are going to if you um, don't agree with Cargill, for instance. <laughs> Because Cargill is a competitor of many farmer-owned co-ops, and you're not going to have, you have no way to voice, add voice to those decisions whatsoever um, in a co-op you do. But it is a very serious uh, question, and I, um, um, I'm glad that you asked it. Yeah, I, I took a class in cooperatives about 40 years ago at the UW, and the professor, about once an hour, was very clear about saying any cooperative that doesn't do member education is doomed because a co-op without education of its members will last one and a half generations and then it will lose itself. Um, and that really struck me about, about the idea of reinvigorating ourselves, re, re, reinforcing ourselves through education. Through education. And the education, as we've talked about um, needs to be about how can I participate in this organization effectively? That's absolutely critical. But it also needs to be about what are the values of this organization and what does it stand for? And um, I think that's getting to Kel's question. Um, right. it, 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 there is no co-op police. I mean, no one else will step in except the members if, if there's a feeling that it's being co-opted. So talk about those internationally sort of recognized values of cooperatives and principles of cooperatives? No, I think that the most, um, I mean, there's several of them and they, right there, there is a codified group. It's called the ICA cooperative principles. Um, it allows co-ops all over the world, uh, to call themselves co-ops and to, um, uh, meet and discuss, you know, there, there is this international organization, international cooperative Alliance that co-ops from, um, Asia, Africa, South America, um, North America, Europe belong to. Um, it, it, it starts with democracy um, and, and then uh, the concept of ownership and the fact that the people who actually use the cooperative do benefit from it and however benefit is defined. It also, they also, the co-op principles also talk about um, the the fact that that um, it's it's uh, you know that that it's part of their um, um, that they it is a, it you can't have it um, be part of a let's see how would we put it like a, a requirement that you join a cooperative a cooperative should be a voluntary activity. Um, that was in a reaction to some um, countries where it was required that you join co-ops and it became very political. So um, I think the main thing about the co-op principles, though, is that it gives a basis for cooperatives worldwide. And then and that in turn uh, strengthens every co-op from the tiniest one here in Madison to the largest one in Denmark or Norway or Spain or um, um, even, you know, the large ones here in the United States. And speaking of large ones, let's talk history. Um, speaking of adversity, Franco's fascist Spain gives rise to the Mondragon um, cooperatives. Talk about Mondragon if people don't understand or haven't heard of this yet. So Mondragon is a, is a collection of... Um, separate worker-owned cooperatives that uh, were started as manufacturing um, uh, companies, and they were owned 100% by the people who work in them. So it's a, worker, a group of worker-owned cooperatives that has broadened. Um, it now includes a university and consulting cooperatives, grocery stores, all different types of cooperatives. Uh, it was born out of the... Um, uh, reaction to Franco's um, Spain and the Spanish Civil War, the Basque community, which is in north um, east Spain, was really persecuted by Franco, and uh, they were 
pretty down economically. And um, there was a, a famous priest in the 50s who began to organize um, workers and organize um, uh, education, basically. That's where he started, was letting people who were working um, have an opportunity after work to learn about this model and 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 understand that they could take um, their economic destiny into their own hands. And so they started very small with one company uh, that was doing manufacturing, and they did have a reputation in the Basque region for um, high-quality manufacturing, so they were able to start with that. But uh, slowly, you know, um, inch by inch, they grew and grew and grew until now they are a um, just kind of a mecca for people who are interested in worker-owned cooperatives. It's an amazing story. It's not without its um, ups and downs. And uh, I was lucky enough to visit there. I think I um, one of the most memorable quotes is, this is not heaven and we are not angels. <laughs> we are cooperators. Not, it's not heaven and we're not angels. I love that quote. Um, so that's a, a good reminder for all of us. You, you were talking yesterday. Um, we talked for almost an hour yesterday. So this is actually your second show. This one you were sharing with the community. Um, but you were talking about the importance of taking things out of the strict profit world of U.S. capitalism and allowing higher values to go to work. Yeah, that, oh, sorry. that is an interesting um, question. So, you know, if, if cooperatives um, are democratic organizations and they um, certainly assist in our sort of feeling of a community and civic space. They also are economic democracies and they are owned by a group of people who are not the investors, but the users of the cooperative. And that is a incredibly important difference. It was uh, the, co the modern cooperative, um, legal cooperative came out of the turmoil in England during the industrial revolution and really um, the idea of cooperative with a small, with a big C sort of a way of doing business um, in the marketplace um, was advanced at about the same time that Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, which was, um, you know, mostly about the market and competition. So Marx was writing at the same time. Socialism was um, out there. It was a it was a time of huge ferment, and um, the idea of of cooperatives as a um, um, economic alternative, where the, dis, the 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 destiny of workers or consumers or farmers would not be in the hands of investors, but would be in the hands of those people who for whom um, the decisions had the most impact, uh, just took fire. It spread like wildfire all over England and then all over the United States in many communities. Um, and so it was seen at that time as a very strong alternative to what to capitalism, and then sometimes a part of capitalism, yes, sometimes a part of socialism, but sort of a third way in a way that was trying to establish a middle ground between those two forms, which were largely, um, uh, which, which demanded sort of governmental policies. And co-ops actually <laughs> uh, innovated and governmental policies often would follow what the co-ops had started in, in insurance. I mean, there's a whole host of that, but it, 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 it does come out of a, um, the ownership, you know, I, I guess one, oh, here's another example. You know, people sometimes have asked me about Willie Street Co-op and um, how important it is. And, 
you know, one of the things that I always say is Willie Street Co-op is still here. And almost every other independent grocery store has shut down. All the grocery stores that I grew up with mm -hmm. as a kid are gone. But Willie Street is still here. And so why is that true? It's because it's owned by members who want it to be here. And that's um, just one example. But if you could multiply that by hundreds of thousands, you'd have a different society, exactly. different economic society. Exactly. Um, we're talking with Ann Reynolds, former executive director of the UW Center for Cooperatives on All Things Cooperative. And we welcome your calls in the last 10 to 12 minutes of the show, 608-256-2001. Join the conversation with Ann Reynolds. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of some epic battles going on. For example, Union Cab versus Uber, um, where even the language is taken over. People don't call a cab anymore. Every time I talk with people, they're like, I'm going to call an Uber. It's like, call a cab, call a union cab. Um, there's some major forces trying to, um, th that are at work here that are not helpful to democracy. Yeah, I, I, um, I've had many conversations with union cab members over the years. And, um, but I also um, remember conversations with uh, people who lived in um, Brazil, and I, I, I think it was in Sao Paulo. But uh, there, you not only, you know, in the conflict between the cab drivers and Uber, um, you not only had a... Um, um, cab co-ops, because these guys were members of co-ops, um, versus a corporation, but you had a multinational versus a locally owned organization. And, you know, they did tell stories of, of pretty amazing um, business practices on the part of, of Uber. And um, amazing, really amazing in what way? Um, I, I, I think you... I think it's been documented here too, um, just business practices that are, um, you know, that, that where the goal is to destroy the competition, right. basically. And so the business practices were to undercut the uh, worker-owned cooperative cab companies to the point where they fell apart, closed down, and then there was no other choice but Uber. And so... Um, that, 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 so this is known. I mean, that, and in, and in Sao Paulo, they were, they were organizing, um, in, in my memory. It was, but it, but it's, um, it does take community support and community knowledge that, you know, if, if Uber is a little cheaper or more convenient, um, eventually it will drive out the alternatives and then Uber has no competition and can do whatever they want. And you can read Adam Smith or you can read about markets, but capitalism does depend on competition. And we need union cab for a lot of reasons, but we also need it to survive so that there's an alternative to what is a multinational corporation. Exactly. It does employ good people. I mean, of course, you know, but bottom line, it's a multinational. Exactly. And we have Carol on the line with a question for you. Carol, welcome to WORT. Well, thanks, Bert. Um, yeah, I, I had the opportunity to look at this uh, Cooperative Governance Research Initiative uh, 2021 from the Center for Cooperatives, and I was kind of, um, I want to know more about uh, insurance companies, because among the co-ops, or maybe these are only co-op types, I don't know, is like Northwestern Mutual Insurance Company. Do you know, can you tell me much about mutual insurance companies? Thanks, Carol. Yeah, thank you. Um, so mutual insurance companies um, are uh, un fall under the co-op umbrella because they are owned by their members. Um, and so, and actually the members of mutual insurance companies do vote for 
um, on, uh, for board members sometimes. I mean, it, it's going to vary. Governance will vary according to the organization, but um, members do have a vote on certain issues. And Northwestern Mutual is an example of a large organization. But as Bert said, you know, these mutual insurance companies all got their start in communities um, where they were an alternative to 100% investor-owned insurance companies. Uh, we could do a whole program around that industry. It's very interesting. Um, but it it is... Uh, it is right, but but it is the member ownership that allows them to be under the co-op umbrella. So, if it says mutual, that is the code word for cooperative. Right. It means that there is a, a, a right. They are mutual. Was is the def? It means we are. Um, it's mutually owned, which means yes, it's cooperative. That's good to know. Thank you. Um, I'm still back on that comment you made many minutes ago that while they're co-ops and while this is democracy, this is not heaven and we are not angels. I love that line. I've been part of many organizations that it was good to keep in mind that we're not creating paradise. We're creating something else here and we're doing our best. Um, so Anne, talk, you were talking about, uh, the, the historic, uh, under the historic beginnings of co-ops, the industrial revolution, England, um, and that whole ferment, is that, that's where the Rochdale principles come out of, right? Yes, right. So, so it, it is, a, I mean, again, a little bit of history. I mean, it's an interesting thing that um, there have been cooperative groups all over um, the world forever. And yet um, um, the Rochdale, the, that group in England did, once they, once the, 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 it was a group of miners and out of work um um, people who were worked in, you know, um, uh, clothes manufacturing, they had supporters and they came together. They, um, they wanted to have better access to food in the town of Rochdale and they came together and they um, created a theory of a business that was owned by those um, out of work um, miners and um, uh, food and, and manufacturers and um, workers and they created some principles that would go on then to define what this, how this business operated. And one of those was democracy, one member, one vote. And another part was um, that the, the, the profits will be shared by the people who actually um, benefit from the cooperative, so the members. And that was very incredibly radical at the time. Um, I should say, though, that it really links well with... Um, um, cooperative, small C cooperative groups all over the world. And so um, there are uh, a woman named Eleanor Ostrom who was um, received the Nobel Prize in Economics, devoted her life to gathering uh, examples from all over the world of things like irrigation schemes or how did people, uh, Native Americans, share uh, precious resources along the shore where um, you know, there was access to mussels and clams that were that was essential. Um, that research that she did worldwide, with particularly the remnants of those early co-op groups, um, aligned incredibly well with the Rochdale principles. And so the point is that yes, those principles came out of a particular period in England that was historically significant and the British had the power and the um, influence, even British workers, to spread that worldwide, hugely influential. But the fact is it was this it 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 went worldwide to an audience that was actually ready for it because many of them, many people all over the world were already members of cooperative groups. And they'd been using many of those same principles to at least operate their civic life, if not their economic life. And I think that's the power of cooperatives, is that when we look at it, we go, oh yeah, that makes sense. So, so often we're told democracy means voting every four years and then coming back in four more years. And it's almost like 
I, I think of Dr. King who would talk about we're all crew on this ship. None of us are simply passengers. And, and that view of we, we vote, therefore we're a democracy every four years or two years, um, really undercuts the true nature of what a real vibrant democracy should be. It needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I think one of the key things is that, yes, we vote every four years, but do we have transparency in how decisions are made? We understand the consequences of, um, of, of those decisions. And do we know how to have power in the room with our, um, particularly in our system, those representatives that we have? So those are all just as important parts of democracy as that institution of voting and, and, uh, and co-ops need to keep those things in mind too. Oh, and this has been a great conversation. We've got just a couple of minutes left and I haven't even gotten to your keynote address at the national co-housing conference that was here in Madison that just had me cheering because highlighting private property versus cooperative community ownership, uh, of, of, of housing, for example. And, um, as a model. Um, what, what, what do we need to focus on here at the end? Um, we're about to head into an election in about five days. Uh, we don't know what the results are, but we know that it, it's very dramatic. And yet the life of democracy goes on day by day with cooperatives and the things that we all do. Um, what, what haven't we focused on? What, what, what do we keep, need to keep in mind? I do think that um, you know, this is, it, it, it could be a time of, um, of some angst and some uh, despair among some people, and it depends where you live, of course, and how much you're affected by it. Um, I think what we need to keep in mind is that um, these are cycles that, um, that, that are not the bedrock of who we are. And the bedrock of who we are as humans are cooperators. And um, we know this um, when we look at ourselves and our community, and we know this as we, um, as we look at research. And so um, I think keeping that in mind and understanding, you know, how can I um, better understand the small D democracy in my life, that's going to be incredibly helpful. And the small D democracy is critically important as we head into this last minute of this show and the rest of our lives. Because um, we're building a society for others, for the future, and um, we have to take care of each other, and thus cooperatives. Um, Ann Reynolds, former executive director of the UW Center for Cooperatives, has been our guest. And thank you so very much. This has been an honor and a privilege and just a lot of fun to have you on. Thank uh, you been a delight and happy to um, always happy to talk about and, and we'll have you on about mutual insurance companies next time so Chuck the engineer pushes the buttons and makes us go out over the airwaves Jade coordinates everything Jade you're amazing Shali thank you so much and you listeners thank you for listening in this has been a public affair on WORT we're going to head off into the BBC News and letters and politics right after that Frequency radio modulation The big sound from underground Another pirate station We bring the truth to places Truth is never heard before We bring the sound Communication of our tribal war Dark vision fly by Helicopters in the night Attempt triangulation Of our station in the fight Straight from the base Deep down low precision High crime treason We broadcast in sedition Like the Wall Street Morning afternoon edition Commandeering airwaves From unknown positions Live and direct We come and never pre-recorded With information That would never be recorded Reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and support it.